So um, this message is part two in a little two-parter. So if you didn't listen to last week, please get it on the podcasts. Because we, we, last week we, th- we thought about the rekindled life. I talked about the fact that sometimes it feels like our life and our faith is flickering. You ever felt like that? We just feel, I'm just about holding on. Like it's hard. And we looked at a story in 1 Kings 19 where the prophet Elijah is feeling it's so hard. He's so beat up. He's so weary that basically he, want, he literally wants to die. He literally says to God, I want to die. And, and God in his gracious gentleness speaks to him and says, there are some practices of resting and feasting and listening that will bring that kind of flickering life and faith back into a flame again. And I, again, I encourage you to check the email from last week where I summarized it and listen to the podcast if you missed it. Well, today I want to find ourselves not in the story in 1 Kings 19, but actually what happened before that in 1 Kings 18. So if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Kings 18, because last week was about rekindled life. Today is about fired up life. And what I'm really praying, and only the Holy Spirit can do this, is that the flicker will become a flame and the flame will become a furnace. And that you will feel fired up and ready to go as we leave this place. There's a story at the end of Luke's Gospel where the resurrected Jesus is walking on the Emmaus Road with two of his disciples. And for some reason, we don't quite know why, they don't recognize him in his new resurrected body. And uh, they're chatting and he's talking about why he died and all this kind of stuff. And then they take, they break bread in a house and then he disappears. And then they suddenly realize who he is. They suddenly realize that he is Jesus Christ who was with them. And there's this great line that says, didn't I? Our hearts burn as he spoke to us, as he spoke to us. Well, I am praying, as I said, only the Holy Spirit can do this, that there'll be some burning hearts in this house today. Like, are you, is your heart open for God to set a, your heart aflame again today to do us good in every way? There's a story told that uh, in the 18th century, uh, the evangelist John Wesley, he was once asked, how is it that so many people come to watch you preach? Like thousands, tens of thousands. And apparently he replied, I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. Well, I'm burning today and I hope you're going to catch some fires. Anyone with me today? Okay, come on, stay with me, speak to me, let's, let's engage in this. And so let's jump straight into the story. First Kings chapter 18, we're going to read from verse 6. Just a little bit of the background of this. There has been a famine for three years in the nation of Samaria, in, in Israel. And uh, God has just told the prophet Elijah that the famine is just um, a drought, sorry, not a a famine, a drought. It hasn't rained for three years. And God has just told Elijah that the rain is about to come. But before it comes, there needs to be a bit of a showdown with King Ahab and his prophets. And uh, this is the first time that Ahab and Elijah have met for a while. So this is 1 Kings 18, 6 to 39. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah replied, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. 
You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and he said to them, this is verse 21, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And so then Elijah said, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God. I'll call on the name of my God and the God who answers by fire. Well, he is the one true God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and they prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and then they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him and they rebuilt the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, once for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And then he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell from heaven and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Amazing story. Amazing story. And here we see right at the beginning of this story, Elijah totally outnumbered, totally outgunned, totally under-resourced, totally, in, in human terms, overwhelmed. 
And that's the, the, the culture, that's the atmosphere within which he steps up. Like, how can this small, single voice against this massive crowd of people make a difference? Good question. Have you ever wondered that about your own life? How can your small voice speak over the clamor of this noisy culture? All the challenges we're facing, we talked about it last year, last week, all of the challenges of the last seven years and the impact they've had on our world and on our lives. We're hit by this tsunami of ideologies that are just saturating our social media feeds. We're seeking to be people of good news, bringing the good news of Jesus into a bad news world where it just seems like a pick and mix, choose your faith, choose your religion, choose your own life. And here we are, trying to speak about Jesus. How can our still, small voice speak into the clamor in this culture? And this is the challenge that Elijah's facing. 450 to 1. A king who literally wants him dead. A nation, Israel, that they're pretty keen for him to die as well. And the key point that I want to understand in this story is that the first fire... The real fire that happens in this story is not the fire that comes from heaven. It's the fire that's already burning in Elijah. That's the real fire in this story. Elijah literally is fired up and he is. He's fired up and he is. He is. He steps up to the plate. And the question is why? Why does he do that? Why does he believe that, that, that his Small voice can speak into this situation when all the odds are stacked against him. And I would suggest to you that he is fired up with three things. And each of these three things result in three things. He's fired up with the fire of faith. He's fired up with hope. And he's fired up with love. And because he's fired up with faith, the fire of faith fuels, if you want to write this down, the fire of faith fuels daily decisions. The fire of hope fuels divine dares, and the fire of, hope, of love fuels devoted disciples. So that's what we're going to think about in the little time that we've got. Firstly, the fire of faith, which fuels daily decisions. Elijah has this unshakable conviction in the deepest part of his being that there is a God, there is one true God, except no substitutes, none other the fake alternatives, nothing else will satisfy. And he is so captivated by the wonder of this God, like who this God is, what he's experiencing this God, he, he just has to do this. Like he has to be bold. It brings him to this place. This fire of faith brings him to this place where he's like, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to step up. I've got to step out. I can't just hold this within myself. It reminds me in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, which is the, the fifth book in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tells the story of Jesus' lives, life in four different biographies. And then the book of Acts is sometimes called the Acts of the Early Church. It's the story of the early church and what happens when Jesus returns to heaven and how the church is born 2,000 years ago. Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that fills the church that becomes the catalyst for the incredible things that the church does and continues to do 2,000 years later. But you could also call the book of Acts the act of boldness. 
Because the word bold appears over and over again throughout the book of Acts. Multiple times. And there are two Greek words. Here's a quick, quick Greek lesson for you. The most common word is a verb. And it's this, parasiadzomai. Parasiadzomai. Turn to someone and say, parasiadzomai. Go on, you can do it. Who knew you were going to get a Greek lesson today? Parasiadzomai. So parasiadzomai is an act of, of, of boldness. It's a doing word. Like, you know, where someone says, like, you know, th- you know this, this, that you, this, this person did something bold. That's what it means. And it's the one that's most commonly used. But there's another word, which is parasia. Parasia. Say with me, parasia. Parasia. Sia. It sounds like Italian Greek, doesn't it? Sorry for my Italian friends. Parasia. But parasia is different. Parasia is a noun. When, when you say parasia to someone, you're not talking about something that they do. You're saying what they are. What they are. You're saying that you're, you, you just don't do bold things. You are bold. Like, like it's part of your identity. There's something. And, and what's wonderful about this word parasia, it literally means a boldness that comes because you have experienced something for yourself so you can't help but talk about it. You understand me? So like, you know, if you've been around Zio any length of time, you will know that I know that Belgian chocolate Haagen-Dazs ice cream is the best ice cream on planet Earth. I know this for myself. I par- Ron's just shaking her head. She's saying, no, it's not. It's Ben and Jerry's cookies and cream. You can be wrong. It's number two. I, I, I know it. I parasee it. I, have t- I've, I've not, I didn't check the ingredients and think, oh, that's a nice list of ingredients. That's going to be great. I wasn't overwhelmed by the peer pressure of other people. Like, I have tasted and seen that it is good. Yeah? That's parasia. You understand that? I, I know. I've experienced it for myself. And it's like in the, in the New Testament, there's a, the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word, yada, which appears hundreds and hundreds of times. And it means to see, to know, to perceive. But not intellectually, but personally, experientially. And that's what's going on with Elijah in this moment. What's going on is this parasia faith, this yada faith. Like he, he, he doesn't know about God. He knows God. He has experienced God for himself. He knows what God is like. He's seen the powerful hand of God. And what that does is it fuels the fire of faith in him. And he cannot help do what he's been called to do. Is anyone with me? You understand what I'm saying? And throughout the scriptures, we see all these different words to describe uh, what God is like. And and I'm going to remind you of some of these words. And I am praying today, again, as only the Holy Spirit can, that in 2024, you will know this God that I'm describing. And that you won't know him intellectually, but you will know him experientially. That you will know this is true. I've tasted and seen it. Is anyone with me today? Come on, church. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Come on. Because this God that you can personally experience today, did you know this? He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. He is the Alpha and the Omega and He is the beginning and the end. He is the atoning sacrifice for your life and He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He's the creator of the world, the savior of the world, and He'll be the restorer of the world. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Who's the sheep? 
We are the sheep. Absolutely, we're the sheep. He's the bread of life, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection and the life. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he is the lamb that is slain. He is the very light of the whole world. He's the deliverer, redeemer, prophet and great high priest. He is the Christ, the son of the very living God. He is my rock, my fortress, my refuge, my strong tower, my hiding place with him. I can hide under the shadow of his wings. But like we said a moment ago, when I wait on him and hope in him. I can soar on the wings of eagles. I can run and not grow weary. I can walk and not faint. His commitment to me is unquestionable. His joy is unspeakable. His peace is unbelievable. His power is unimaginable. His wisdom is unthinkable. His grace is unreasonable. His mercy is unfathomable. His justice is inescapable. His generosity is immeasurable. His holiness is unmatchable. His hope is unshakable. His faithfulness unbreakable and his love is unquenchable. Friends, listen to me. This is your God. This is your God. And in 2024, don't know about Him. Know Him. Know Him. May those things and so many other things, may may you know, yes, I know He's the King of Kings. I know He is the Shepherd. I know He's the Bread of Life. I know his wisdom. I know his power. Because when you know it for yourself, then you'll want other people to know it. Perhaps we just don't know it enough ourselves. And that's what brings Elijah to this place. Verse 21, when he says to the crowd, he says, why are you limping and hobbling and jumping and wavering between these decisions? Like, stop sitting on the fence. Uncomfortable sitting on the fence. This is a moment to decide. See, that's, that's what the fire of faith, it fuels daily decisions. It, it is not afraid to shy away from what I would call confrontation moments. This is a confrontation moment. This is a confrontation moment. This is a moment to decide. For some of you here today, you've not yet fully decided to follow Jesus, to put this God in your life. Let me say, let today be your day. Let today be your day at the end of this service. Choose to follow Jesus Christ. Invite him to be part of your life. Accept no substitutes. But let me be really clear that being a follower of Jesus, I've said it before, I'm saying it again, is not about a decision. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is about decisions. Every day you decide to follow Jesus. Every day there will be confrontation moments when you will want to go one way and your faith in Christ will want you to go another way and you will face a daily decision. Will I put my faith in him and do what he says or will I go my own way? Daily decisions are fueled by the fire of faith. That's the first thing. Then the fire of hope which fuels divine dares. The fire of hope fuels divine dares because Elijah is so blown away by how good his God is. Because of that, he dares to believe this God can do anything. Anything. Like Elijah knows that history does not determine destiny. Are you pleased about that? Whatever's happened in your history, God can rewrite the story. And so he knows that this God can do the impossible, the supernatural, and the unbelievable. And because Elijah is so bursting with hope, he makes it really hard for God. Did you notice that in the story? So he, he, he does the sacrifice, and then, and then he, um, he pours 
12 buckets of water over it. He makes it as hard as possible for God to do it. It even fills the trench. And, and because there's this conviction that he's got, this divine dare, he's so full of hope in God. He's, he's willing to put himself out there, get out of the boat, take a crazy risk, look stupid because he believes, God, you can do anything. You can do absolutely anything. And he was willing to put himself in that place, essentially where he's saying to God, God, unless you, I've made this so hard. Unless you come through now, God, I'm in trouble. When's the last time, friends, you were there? When's the last time you were in the, the place of the divine dare? Where, where you're like, God, unless you come through here for me, I'm in trouble. Now, listen, let me, let me take you into a little secret. Lean forward, lean forward. Lean forward, lean forward. Come on, lean forward. Stephen, lean forward, lean forward. Goodbye. You're always in that place. In him you live and breathe and have your being. The, the fact that you're, you are utterly dependent on God every second of the day. You are totally dependent. We, we, wouldn't, we only exist because of him. But a divine dare goes beyond dependence. A divine dare is willing to put ourselves out there, put us in the place of risk and see what God will do. Someone once said, part of our problem is this. We are so accustomed only to do things for God that are not impossible. If God doesn't show up and help us, we can still succeed. Listen to that again. Listen to that again. Part of our problem is this. We are, only, we are accustomed only to do things for God that are not impossible. If God doesn't show up and help us, we can still succeed. We can do stuff without him. But what does impossible in 2024 look like for you? You think, oh, it would be impossible for me to see some of, my, some of my work colleagues or families or neighbors come to Christ. Nothing is impossible. Put yourself in that place. Take a divine dare. Take a risk. Like we, we are, if you've been following the story of Zio, like we're in a divine dare at the moment. You know, we, we've completely, we're re-exploring the way that we do church. We feel like God is, is, is inspiring us and leading us away from the big gathered and that the real life is in these small communities that will multiply and become friends, disciples making disciples, church starting churches. No longer do we feel like God's calling us to grow to be a church of a thousand people, but, but calling us to be a movement of a thousand churches or more in the next, you know, three, four, however many decades he can take as long as it wants. And it's hard at times sometimes when we're sitting here at the front and the worship's rocking it was great this morning and I'm like oh I just love to do this every week but I know that God has put us in a place of risk and daring and we don't know it's going to plan out we're just holding on to God because we believe that God has spoken and we're not trying to do things that we want we're trying to do what he wants and it's risky and it's scary and we don't know how it's going to play out you see we love this story because it plays out well but what if it hadn't what if it hadn't? Did Elijah know with absolute certainty that fire was coming from heaven? No. But he had faith and he had hope. Divine dares fueled by the fire of hope. And then finally, the fire of love fuels devoted disciples. If you've got your Bible, look at this little verse. In uh, this was verse 37. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Answer me, Lord, answer me, he says. So these people will know. That word know, yada. These people will experience that you are the one true God.
See, here's the thing about this story as I start to close. The whole motivation, the whole agenda behind this story is not punishment and wrath. There is some of that. But the whole motive behind it is God's love. What God is looking for is restoration. He's looking for people to return to him. And Elijah gets it. And because he has started to feel what God feels for people, but he's starting to love people as God loves people, as he sees people as God sees people, he is willing to step up and step out with the fire of love because he knows that what God is looking for is other people to follow him, which is just what a disciple means, devoted disciples. And what's interesting, if you look at the whole of Elijah's story, this is the only big crowd moment in Elijah's story. The rest of the time, Elijah is pretty much just working with individuals. He's coming alongside individuals. The the widow of Zarephath, Obadiah, Elijah's servant, uh, Ahab, Jezebel, uh, Ahaziah, the school of prophets. And in the end, if you look at the story, Elisha. Because, Because Elijah knows, like Jesus shows, like we're supposed to do, you don't disciple crowds, you disciple people. That you come alongside of people with the fire of love and you invite them to journey with you. I've said before, like it's not like we need to break this dichotomy of, of mission evangelism and then discipleship. Like we want to be a church where we're just committed in every moment of every day, we are discipling everybody. We're discipling everybody. When I went to get my hair cut today, uh, earlier this week, do you like it? Some of you say, more highlights, Matt, more highlights. It costs a lot for these grey highlights, friends. And uh, when, um, when I'm sitting in the chair with Brandon, we're talking about my weekly prayers that I put on Instagram. And we're chatting around faith and chatting about life and what God means to him. Like he's not, but I'm discipling him. I'm, I'm introducing him to the way of Jesus. Like... What would it look like if every interaction, whether covertly or overtly, when you're getting coffee, in every way you are modeling something of the way of Jesus because you're committed to disciple everyone? I've asked before, like, when did did Jesus' disciples become Christians? Like, when they first started to follow him, they had no idea who he is. They just thought he was a rabbi. But he said, come on the journey with me, and they went on it. And at some point, who knows when, they really realized who he was, and they went for it. The fire of love fuels devoted disciples to love people. Do we love our neighbors, our colleagues, our coffee shop friends, our gym buddies, our family members, our friends? Do we love them enough this year to pray, God, could you help me show them the way of Jesus? In my words, in my actions, to to bring them to him. This is, this is Elijah's story. It can be our story. Just a normal bloke. Where in that surrender place, the fire of faith, the fire of faith which, which fuels daily decisions. I've decided to follow Jesus. The fire of hope which fuels divine dares. And the, and the fire of love which fuels devoted disciples. We're discipling everybody. And uh, I'm going to show you a video that some of you have seen before to take us home as we pray. Worship team can come up. And um, because Elijah is what? He is fired up and ready to go. Can a small voice speak over the clamor of the culture? I think yes. And here's another great reminder in this video that you're about to see, the difference that one person can make if they're willing 
to speak up. Enjoy this. Fired up, ready to go. 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 I'm Edith S. Childs from Greenwood, South Carolina, and I'm the one that got Barack Obama fired up. And so I just want to close with a story that some of you know, because it shows you the importance of one voice. And it's a story about my first trip to Greenwood. When I heard that he was coming to Greenwood, I thought, okay, I'm just gonna go and welcome him to Greenwood. Turns out that Greenwood is about an hour and a half from everywhere else. Well, Greenwood is a little bit out of the way. So we drive, we drive and we drive. Finally, we get to Greenwood. We pull up to a small building. Right here in this building, the Civic Center. It's pouring down rain and my umbrella blows open and I get soaked. I'm mad, I'm wet. We go inside and lo and behold, after an hour and a half drive, turns out there are 20 people there. When he first came in the room, he had this grin on his face, like maybe I'm in the wrong place. You know, it was a small group of people. 20 people, and they all look kind of damp and, and kind of sleepy, like maybe they aren't really excited to be there either. And looking around at everyone in the room, I knew we had to do something. Suddenly, I hear this voice cry out behind me, fire it up! And I'm, I'm shocked. I know that the senator wasn't sure what was going on, because he had that look on his face. So I look behind me, and there's this small woman. Looks like she just came from church. She got a big church hat. And she, she's standing there, and she looks at me, and she's smiling. And she says, Fired up, ready to go. I knew we needed to keep singing. Fired up, ready to go. And so for the next five minutes, she proceeds to do this. Fired up. Everybody says, fired up, and ready to go. And everybody says, ready to go. And I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, she's stealing my thunder. I look at my staff. They shrug their shoulders. They don't know how long this is going to go. But here, here's the thing, Virginia. After a minute or so, I'm feeling kind of fired up. I'm feeling like I'm ready to go. So I joined in the chant. And it feels good. And for the rest of the day, even after we left Greenwood, I'd see my staff. I'd say, are you fired up? I'd say, we're fired up, boss. Are you ready to go? I'd say, I'm ready to go. Once you hear it, you will never forget it. So some, some people start putting fired up, ready to go on their shirts. Some people start putting fired up, ready to go on signs. Everybody's saying fired up and ready to go. Fired up! Fired up! Ready to go! It shows you what one voice can do. One voice can change a room. And if a voice can change a room, it can change a city. And if it can change a city, it can change a state. And if it can change a state, it can change a nation. And if it can change a nation, it can change the world. Your voice can change the world. So I've just got one question for you. Are you fired up? 
Are you ready to go? Fired up. Ready to go. 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 Fired up. Let's go change the world. Where we're praying, Lord, would you come? Would you stir in us faith, hope, and love? Stir in us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Why don't we just right where we are in these last few minutes, let me just encourage you. You pray. You talk to God. You tell him, Lord, fill me afresh. You, choose, you say, I'm following you again, Lord. Fill me with your fire. Bring healing. Rekindle faith. Whatever it is, just right where you are. Come on, let's, let's lift our voices. Lift our voices to Him. Speak out. Maybe that's the first bold step that you're going to make in 2024 is you're going to pray out loud. You don't have to shout, but you're actually going to use your voice. You're going to hear your voice. You're going to hear yourself saying things that your soul needs to hear. Come on, friends. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, set a fire in us, Lord. Set a fire in us, Lord Jesus. Fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Come on. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Just in this moment before I do closing prayer, if you're here this morning and you haven't made that first daily decision, that first decision to say, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died on a cross for me. Thank you that you rose again. You've defeated death. I receive your forgiveness. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life and all the way into heaven. If there's anyone here and you want me to agree with you in prayer that you are forgiven and part of God's family, I'm going to ask you to do a brave thing. I'm not even asking everyone to bow their heads. So they can't see. I want you to be bold. If there's anyone here, every time we gather, we want to create an opportunity. I want to invite you just to put your hand up. If there's anyone here, and then at the end, come say hi. Is there anyone here for the very first time, you want to say, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Is there anyone? All the Christians in the house praying for courage. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, last prayer. If you need some fire, if you need some fire, if you know, God, I need the flicker to become a flame and the flame a furnace. In a moment, I'm going to say a closing prayer. And if this prayer is over you, whatever you're feeling, I I want to encourage you to put your hands out to God as an act of surrender, as an act of receiving what God has for you, that we leave this place different for an encounter with the Spirit. And so to be brave, to be brave, to reach out to him. So would you do that in this moment? If you know right now, God, I need you. God, I need you. I need the fire of faith. I need the fire of hope. I need the fire of love. I need it, God. I need it. I feel weak. I feel fragile. I feel frail. I feel vulnerable. I feel disappointed. I feel anxious. I feel stressed. All of these other words. It feels dark. I feel depressed. And I pray right now, right now, Lord Jesus, as these people, as they reach out to you, as they reach out to you, and some are desperate, God, 
Some are desperate. They, they long for you. The reality, Lord, not knowing about you, but knowing you, knowing who you are, knowing what you've done, encountering you, mind, body, soul, and spirit, every part. We pray that now, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would come, that you would fill us, that you would do something in our inner being. Lord Jesus, that the that the flicker would become a flame, the flame would become a furnace, that, that Lord, every day you would blow the wind of your Spirit, bringing life and fire into our belly, Lord Jesus, to follow you, to live for you in every way. Set a fire in our soul, Lord. Set a fire in our soul, Lord. We declare that 2024 is the year of being fired up and ready to go. Fired up and ready to go every day. Every day. We know we got to tend to the fire every day. It's not enough. This moment is not enough. It's, there's another decision tomorrow morning to put, put stuff on the flame, to, to be with God's people, to pray, to spend time with you, to keep that flame alive. That's our prayer, Lord, we pray. Set a fire, Lord. Fired up and ready to go, Lord, we pray. Receive it by faith in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.